Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. Error monitoring is provided by Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode servers. Head to Linode.com changelog. This episode of the React Podcast is brought to you by reacttraining.com. In-person, hands-on training for development teams from React community leaders and experts. Visit reacttraining.com to learn more about our upcoming workshops. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the React Podcast. I am your host, Michael Jackson, and I have a very special guest with me here today, Mr. Dan Abramov. Hi, everyone. I'm Dan. I work on React. <laughs> I, lo <laughs> I love the simplicity of that, uh, of that uh, intro. In fact, I I'm titling this episode, Working on React. In your, in your Twitter bio, it says working on react js um i love how simple and straightforward to the to the point that is because you actually work on quite a lot of things with react right not really oh come on dan you're you're, you're all right if dan won't tell you what he's been working on then i will tell you what he's been working on so dan and i actually first met a couple of years ago at the time he was working at a startup called stampsy um, he was working on React Hot Loader. In fact, I think his bio used to say working on hot reloading or something. Ma oh, making hot reloading mainstream. That's what it used to say, right? Yeah. So you've had a ton of a uh, ton of experience with hot reloading, specifically in React. I remember when he showed up on the React Router repo, and he was like, "How can I reload portions of React Router?" Yeah, I think that was about the version. Uh... Oh, 12. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I remember thinking, oh man, I have no idea how to reload React Router. <laughs> I have what is this guy even talking about? Reloading? Oh, uh, okay. Well, we have to think about that. That question actually is uh, something that stuck with me so strongly that it was like a, a major, major, major part of our decision uh, to, to do React Router version four with just components because everybody, like hot reloading a component is something that already exists, right? It's something that you people can do already. So if our API is just components, then then we don't have to have any special API for hot reloading, right? You're just trying to blame me for React Router 4. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love it's it. All your, I love it. It's all your fault. Um, yeah, so 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 React, so hot reloading in React is is something that you've been working on a lot. Um, you also built a, a React DND which um, is a really cool uh, way to play Dungeons and Dragons in <laughs> React. Um, <laughs> oh, no, wait, no, that's uh, React Drag and Drop, right? Yep. Back in the day? Yep. And then probably most famously at uh, React, well, not most famously, because you've done a couple of, of other big things since, but uh, one, of the, one of the things you're best known for, obviously, is, uh, is Redux, which is, let's see, it's been a few years now. I think that was React Europe 2015, summer of 2015, mm -hmm. when uh, when you got up on stage and talked about Redux. A lot of people were, uh, myself included, were pretty pretty blown away. I still I still remember trying to convince you to come come to my uh, hotel room and and teach me about how to do that stuff, but you ditched me instead, and you went and saw the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> yeah, which I, I I don't blame you for. I really don't blame you for. And then so Redux, and then uh, another thing 
that uh, that you've been kind of responsible for and heading up most recently is Create React App, which has uh, been a huge, huge boon for me personally uh, to all the people who say, how do I get started with React? It's like, just use Create React App. So lots and lots of, of awesome things that Dan has worked on, and I'm sure he doesn't, uh, doesn't need any introduction from me. So let, let me just ask you a real, real quick question uh, to get this started, Dan. Mm-hmm. What does it feel like to tweet literally anything you want and get like three or 400 likes? I don't know. I think I, I kind of got used to it already. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that would be pretty cool. You know, I got to say that would be pretty cool. Uh, you know, I look at this, I look at the celebrities sometimes and it's just like tens of thousands, you know what I'm saying? I've never had actually one of those tweets that's got like tens of thousands of likes and retweets and stuff. But I, I do kind of wonder, and I'm like, Dan, I think is probably the closest person I know to that sort of tier. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that it's really nice to be able to, like, boost things you care about. And, like, if you see a cool project, um, you can tweet it to a large audience and then they find contributors. I think that's being able to do that is a lot of privilege. And it's, I kind of started the same way. I So I, I tweeted about React Hot Loader when it was released. Even before it was released, it was just like a gift that I recorded. Uh, and I tweeted it, and Christopher Shadow saw my tweet because he was searching for all mentions of React.js on Twitter and just retweeting anything that looked cool. And that's how I got my first like 50 likes there. And it motivated me a lot. And I think these days I, like, I don't really tweet as much about the things that I'm working on until... Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about them, but mm-hmm. it is very helpful to, for um, like for people who are just starting to get some exposure and to find their peers. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I, I I appreciate that that perspective. Um, you know, I I don't have nearly as big a following or, or as active a following, but but I actually try and and do the same thing. Um, Whenever I see somebody who's doing something that's pretty cool and I'm like, ah, nobody's going to see this, you know, this is really cool that they're working on this and nobody's going to see, I need to, I need to amplify this. Um, and so I, I, I try and do the same thing as much as I can, but that's, that's cool that, that, uh, that you think about it that way, because, uh, I think from a lot of people's perspective, you know, it's kind of like react and Dan are kind of synonyms, right? It's like, oh yeah, whatever, you know, it's, it's like, uh, what, whatever's happening in react We'll find about it. We'll find out about it on Dan's Twitter account. We don't need to uh, read any of the, <laughs> of the nah, React yeah, blogs. you should read the React blog. <laughs> <laughs> I just right. tweeted my thing, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, the the uh, the React uh, the React blog has actually been super solid lately. I, I love seeing all the different people uh, posting stuff there. Um, speaking about stuff that uh, that has been sort of you know happening in in react land specifically um seems like there's a lot of talk lately going on about you know async fiber mm-hmm. um you know how it's going to change the landscape uh james long was uh talking a lot about it uh andrew clark is talking a lot about it i see you talking a lot about it sebastian's talking a lot about it <laughs> there was uh there was that hilarious gif that Sebastian used 
with the guy, what was it from uh, Game of Thrones? I think he's yeah. like standing there in the snow and the blizzard. And Sebastian just said, you know, that feeling when, when, uh, how did he, how did he say- come up with an API, but you know, people will think it's extremely controversial. Yeah. He says it's, ext- he says it solves all the problems, but you know, it's going to be <laughs> extremely controversial. And he's just standing there in this blizzard with a <laughs> frown on his face. Um, could, could you tell me any more about that? Can you shed some light on what's he, what's he talking about there? Well, I can't really tell you. I, I don't want to spoil the surprise. Um, okay. Uh, I know that there's been some suspense that's building up uh-huh. and I'm, I'm going to talk about this in my JSCon of Iceland talk in a week. So that okay. will be, uh, I think, 1st of March. Okay. That is assuming that uh, my flight doesn't get canceled because uh, there is uh, strong winds and snow in London for the past few days and some flights get canceled. But if they do get canceled, I, I will give the same talk uh, in London a week later anyway. It's going but, but you have but you have seen this API and you've used it. In fact, I think the other day you were saying... Yeah, so I've been playing with it for the past four days. Basically, I so I was working on a talk for about... My plan was to talk about React 16 and beyond, and that's that's what the title of the talk says. Uh, mm-hmm. And I planned it to I planned to split it into three parts: the React 16 recap, like fragments, portals, this stuff. Then React 16 free, uh, which is uh, introduction to the new context API that's not broken, and the new Ref API. And then talk a bit about the React future and the things that. The, the prototypes, the actual working prototypes that I've seen and uh, played with. But as I continued to play with these prototypes, I realized that they are much more exciting than like new context API or refs mm-hmm. or React 16. Mm-hmm. So they just grew to encompass a larger and larger part of my talk until today I just cut everything else. So that's just <laughs> going to be half an hour of showing these new things and yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it, but mm-hmm. I do imagine they will be super controversial, some of it. Yeah, well, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way, right? I mean, JSX was controversial when it first came out, but, you know, we all got used to it eventually and, and sort of figured it out. There are a few people who I think are probably still holding out who still feel a little uncomfortable with those angle brackets in their JavaScript. But I think I think for the most part... Uh, I don't know. It, how is it that they say if you're not if you're not making somebody mad, like you're not really doing anything? Um, that's a that's a terrible way to paraphrase it. But <laughs> but the basic idea is, you know, if you're going to change things, you're going to you know you you figure out better ways to do things, and, and you move forward, right? And and the React team actually has uh, actually been very very good about. Uh, you know, preserving backwards compatibility, providing smooth upgrade paths, code mods, you know, warnings, uh, things like that. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I, I trust that that will still be the case with this, with this new release as well, that, that we're not going to, you know, have, have those kinds of, uh, you know, breakages and things. And, and apart from that, I think it's just super exciting that, uh, you know, that, that the team has been f- so focused on, on these use cases, which are, you know, essentially dealing with, with asynchronous behavior, right? We're all building these these networked apps. Um, Andrew Clark, I want to I want to get him on here 
pretty soon. I swear I mentioned that guy in every single React uh, podcast episode. He was showing me some uh, some of the APIs that he's been playing around with recently for kind of doing async stuff and and timeouts. You know, as he was showing me that, I thought this is you know it it, it kind of goes back a lot to what Sebastian was talking about. Uh, I think was it last year at, at React Comp where he's talking about you know the key press. And when when the user presses the key, that is a higher priority event than you know maybe a, a data fetch from the network or something like that. And we want to be able to prioritize certain types of work, and you know over other types of work that that has a lower priority. Is that kind of the uh, I guess the the main sort of thrust behind your your excitement now that you have this ability to prioritize different kinds of work? Uh, kind of, but uh, I wouldn't quite put it that way because when you speak about prioritizing, uh, you, well, it's kind of implementation details and it can sound like it's something you only need in some like very narrow specific cases. What I've come to like through my playing with these prototypes and with these features, my impression is I feel like it's the, it's fundamentally making the component power the component the existing component model more powerful things that would take me days to implement i can now do in like half an hour mm. so i know that it seems like i'm overhyping this feature but the truth is i'm just very excited i haven't felt this excited about react since the first time i tried it because i think the important thing to mention here is that it's not really about priorities per se but it's about adapting to the constraints. So what we want to do is there is a spectrum of CPU power, right? So there's uh, low-end uh, devices that don't have a lot of CPU power. There may be other applications that are running at the same time, other mm -hmm. JavaScript on the page. So you have these constraints. And on the other hand, you might have beefy machines that actually can deal with that kind of pressure and still uh, be really fast. And what I want to be able to do is for your application to adapt to these constraints. And if it's uh, if the CPU is fast enough, you want it to be able to respond to the user input very quickly, as if it was synchronous. But mm -hmm. then, if the if the constraints are different and the component trees are too heavy, you want it to be able to stay responsive. So. Uh, not instant, but at least responsive and not just like freeze the browser. So that's the CPU spectrum. But when people talk about CPU and network, they usually talk about these things as completely different different problems with different toolboxes to yeah. solve those problems. Different constraints. But, yeah. Yeah. But what I, what like the way I understand Sebastian's visions for the async React is that these are not two different problems. So with network you also have a spectrum. There's uh, devices, like not devices, but there's networks where uh, everything loads uh, for a long period of time and you need to provide a graceful experience on top of that. So you want to make it easy to show a loading indicator or uh, somehow keep the application responsive while you're fetching something. But then if the network is fast, you don't want to uh, show loading indicators everywhere because if it shows and disappears, it actually causes a DOM reflow, which is worse for your application performance. So you want to be able to be smart about those things and about data fetching and code splitting and adapt to the network constraints and do different things on different kinds of networks. And 
So you have this CPU spectrum and you have this network spectrum and you want your application to deliver the best user experience possible, regardless of where the user falls on both of these spectrums. And I think this is, uh, I didn't get it at first, but these problems are interrelated and they might even be interleaved. So like one example is if you start rendering something, but uh, it needs some async data and then you need to fetch it, but then also you don't want to freeze the UI while you're rendering it with that new data. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle all of that? And I think we're still figuring out, like there are still many things to figure out, but there are parts of this work that I feel that are really solid. And so the, these are the parts that I'm going to be talking about uh, at my JSConf talk. And uh, hopefully after the demo, it will make a bit more sense. Awesome. Super, uh, super excited about hearing that talk and actually uh, actually seeing some demos of this thing. You know, you know, what's interesting is that the browser, you know, with certain things, it gives us nice sort of low level access, right? So, uh, for example, you know, if we're writing some, some code, we have the ability to optimize a loop or a function, but you know, there are certain things like go and load an image, right. Mm -hmm. Or, or go and, you know, make, make an HTTP request. And I'm not actually sure how that HTTP request is doing, you know, <laughs> if it's, if it's on a, a good connection or not, are there, are there APIs that, that are sort of, uh, you know, that the browser or that, or that mobile devices are exposing these days that, that, let you, you know, run or basically take different code paths depending on these different constraints that you're talking about, right? CPU and network constraints. Um, or, or is a lot of that kind of guesswork? You, you try and make a network request, you see that, oh, we're on a slow network. So, you know, maybe, maybe they're not separate code paths, but we need to, you know, sort of optimize in a different way because we're on a slow network versus, oh, we're on a fast network. Does that make sense? Uh, I think for like for the CPU stuff, uh, mm -hmm. the browser does give us uh, a good primitive. So that's uh, it's called request idle callback, mm -hmm. and that's actually the thing that lets us schedule things in Fiber. So we the way it works is that if you have a a high priority work, like if I'm typing in a text input, that's going to be high priority. Mm -hmm. So that. Uh, needs to be flushed uh, synchronously because like it's a controlled input. But we might also want to update something in the application in response to this input. And so we, the way, so, uh, and maybe it doesn't have to be synchronous. And so in this case, what we do is we schedule, uh, we ask the browser to call us when the browser is not busy. So that means that I'm not typing, I'm not clicking things with my mouse, there's like small uh, chunks of time when the browser is not doing anything. And this is when it fires the idle callbacks. So, and in these idle callbacks, uh, the uh, React starts uh, doing something that it doesn't have to do right now, but it needs to flush that component eventually. And it can do this in small chunks. And then uh, when it's, uh, it asks the browser, is my time up, is my time up? And when the browser says, yeah, you should finish because like I got another keystroke, I need to handle that immediately, then mm -hmm. React yields back to React yields back to the browser. So uh, this is how the low priority stuff is implemented. And got it. 
it could be used both for updates. So like things like uh, some component tree updating in response to my interactions, but it could it could also do this for if the net if the data from the network comes back like an infinite uh, scrolling list, for example. And we need to append it to the bottom of the page, but we don't want to freeze the page for like 200 milliseconds, uh, creating those dumb notes and mm -hmm. uh, calculating the random methods and so on. So what we could do is we could let the browser do this in idle callbacks, and when everything is ready, just insert the dumb note right there mm -hmm. when it's ready. Mm -hmm. And we could also do this for mounts. Uh, so we could also do preloading, uh, sorry, pre-rendering. So this is when uh, we know that something doesn't have to be on the page right now. For example, mm -hmm. a pop-up. So let's say we have uh, like uh, a button that if you click, it shows a pop-up with uh, like notifications or something. Mm -hmm. And if we know that uh, it's not visible right now, but it's likely that it will, the user will click on it, like we'll pretty sure that the user will click on it. In this case, we could tell React a hint that this thing will likely get visible. So React will start rendering it in background in this idle callbacks, even though it's not actually on the screen yet. Mm -hmm. And then it, it's, it's just gonna be there hidden uh, if it's ready, uh, mm -hmm. waiting so it can be shown instantly when the user clicks. Uh, but it doesn't block any current work, so it doesn't slow your existing page down. Mm -hmm. So I can actually do work in preparation for something that I think the user is probably going to do just in the, in the idle time, you know, in the, in the, almost like a, almost like a, this feels almost like prefetching resources, right? Like, oh, they're going to scroll down the page. So I'm going to prefetch some images or I'm going to prefetch some other scripts or something because, Hey, the user's not doing anything anyway. Um, so in this right. case, we don't have to wait for the user to actually click or do something to, to, to do that work. Right, but also it's not even that, it's not just similar. It Again, the CPU and the network stuff are just two parts of the same coin. If components could express that uh, they need some data to be loaded, then as we begin pre-rendering, React could know that and actually start prefetching as well. It doesn't just concern the data, but also like components that you code split, for example. Mm -hmm. So we can do this declaratively and say, okay, here's a, here's a component that's going yeah, to Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, uh, so request idle callback is the kind of primitive that we get to use in browsers. What do we get to use on, on React Native? What's the primitive there? I'm not actually sure. I think, I think there is a uh, request idle callback uh, implementation there that okay. does something similar. Mm -hmm. But... Um, I think it was broken on Android or something. So we're not enabling the async mode on React Native yet. Uh, I mean, even the React DOM, we're not going to enable it by default uh, for a while. There's still uh, quite a bit of work to do before we can do that. But on the React Native, uh, there is work in progress on making this uh, making this click together. But it's still, I think maybe in several months, uh, we'll see some progress there. Yeah, for sure. So this has been this has been really really great. The uh, the the info that you've given us about async mode, about what's possibly coming down the pipe in uh, in React. Let me ask you this: what what do you think are going to be some of the biggest challenges for 
developers, um, let's let's say for the for the React community in general, right? So here I am. I'm a I'm a guy who works on React Router, right? And there are lots of other component libraries out there that are you know that are are being used by lots and lots of people. So what do you think would be the biggest challenge for people who have already written a bunch of React code? They want to kind of move to this async future that we're talking about. What are some of the hurdles that we're going to encounter? So um, we don't really have a full picture yet, but Mm -hmm. basically uh, the way we imagine it is there's going to be an opt-in component called async mode. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's also going to be another component called strict mode. And the idea being that the strict mode so there are certain patterns that we found do not work well with uh, async rendering. Mm-hmm. And we're going to be posting about those patterns and the alternative solutions to them. Uh, and in many cases, those patterns already have problems. So these are patterns that break with server-side rendering mm-hmm. or that break with error boundaries. Mm-hmm. So these are not exactly new problems, but uh, they're more prominent with async rendering. Mm-hmm. So of course we can't just stop supporting those patterns because uh, like we have 50,000 components and growing at Facebook mm-hmm. and it's just not feasible to like, we can't go to the product teams and tell them to rewrite anything. <laughs> so the way we imagine it is that we would you have, you can't just rewrite facebook.com. You can't just rewrite. No, that. <laughs> no. When we make changes to react, it's us actually making the changes to the product code. So it's like, seven people who uh, do these uh, code mods and uh, send the GIFs. So nobody else is going to do this for us. Got it. So seven people against 50,000 components. You can see where I'm going. So (laughs) You take care of these 7,000. You take care of these 7,000. Yeah, (laughs) sure. (laughs) Uh, And the strategy that we currently are thinking of is that there's going to be an opt-in strict mode, which you can wrap around any component subtree. So you can see like all of this, like my big app, I'm not gonna, like, I don't care about new features for now. And I don't want, I don't want to touch that code, even if it has some problems, but for this, uh, new feature brand, uh, like for this new feature or for this, uh, part of the app that I'm actually working on, I can wrap it into a strict mode component and the strict mode will say, hey, here's like a few patterns that are problematic uh, that uh, you should fix before trying async mode. Oh, it's and then uh, it's not like, as far as I understand the plan, it's not actually going to like break your code, but it's just going to give you targeted warnings about the things that will break. And it's not possible to for us to catch every problem, but we will keep uh, we'll keep a like a documentation page with the one that we encounter and the alternative solutions to them, and we'll try to uh, make warnings very clear in async mode and link to specific recipes. But again, it like it you just you need to do this for the components uh, where you think that this is valuable, mm-hmm. and. The idea is that if your code works in strict mode, uh, most likely it will also work in async mode. Mm-hmm. But again, this is work in progress. We're still in the process of figuring it out. We also have 50,000 components. Uh, so wait for the updates on the React blog 
and we'll be posting about those changes and we'll be posting both about the new features that we think are worth uh, the migration efforts and also what the migration actually looks like. But mostly it's concentrated about like two or three lifecycle hooks that are mm -hmm. uh, people, the, people, people, it was never clear how to use them, like what they are for and when to use the alternatives. Mm -hmm. So people put all kinds of stuff there. <laughs> and now we need to be a little bit more diligent about what goes into each lifecycle hook. Yeah. It's mostly, as far as I can tell, it's the will methods, right? Yeah, except will and mount. Will and mount is fine. Yeah. Yeah, except will and mount is good. Yep. Awesome. I, I love, uh, by the way, that that, uh, that you're using components for this. The idea of a strict mode component. I just stick that in the tree and now I get warnings in the whole subtree for you know things that I should probably avoid going into strict mode. I love it. Or going into async mode. Um, mm -hmm. I, I love the, I love how, you know, I mean, we can use components for obviously for building UI, for building divs and spans and whatever. Um, we can use components also for behavior. Um, and now we're using components for like basically a whole mode of like yeah. operating in React, right? <laughs> Operate in yeah. mode here. I love it. I love it. Okay. So, so those are, so those are, that, I mean, that all sounds great from a, from a, you know, library author standpoint, from an end user standpoint, I think it sounds awesome as well. And, and it sounds like, it sounds like you've all considered, uh, considered those needs. Now on the flip side of the coin, what do you see are the biggest opportunities, you know, once, once these APIs are, you know, once people are able to use these APIs and once people really get these APIs, I know it's hard to sort of see into the future and, and, think about what people are going to do with it. Um, but you know, you've obviously encountered some problems already, you know, in the apps that you're building at Facebook, which have prompted the the research into this area. What is the what does the future look like for for React and building applications in React? Uh I don't want to spoil too much. <laughs> but, <laughs> I almost got you, Dan. I almost got you. <laughs> but I think the broad uh Kind of in the broad strokes, I like how Sebastian put it. Is that there's there's a a large set of use cases, especially for small apps that are currently underserved by React. Mm -hmm. So there are many things that are more convoluted, uh, and you have to do too much abstraction in React today that would like to be more feel more natural. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll fix some of those. Uh, with those uh, hypothetical new features mm -hmm. that I'm going to be showing in a week. And these features are built, like everything in React, they're built to be composable. So it's not yes. uh, it's not just like some kind of new API that we add on the side that kind of hangs from React mm -hmm. uh, in a weird way, but it's extending the fundamental uh, model of what components can do. And since components are composable, it means that there is a space for the ecosystem to run wild with creative solutions to existing problems mm -hmm. uh, based on those new primitives and new capabilities given to the components. So I think that's the biggest opportunity is just all the thought, uh, all the ecosystem uh, experimentation and the powerful new patterns that will emerge out of those new primitives and capabilities that we want to add to React. Awesome. 
Well, you know what? I, I tell you what, Dan. I don't even watch the Apple WWDC keynotes anymore, but I am going to be watching next week <laughs> when you are talking at React Iceland. I'm going to be watching that talk. Um, so All best, right. best of luck to you. And, and hopefully the, uh, the weather holds up and, uh, and you don't get grounded in London that you actually make it and uh, that, that, it's, that it's okay. Let me, let me just ask you one more question before we, before we go here. Uh, is there anything that you would like to kind of amplify, uh, you know, personally right now? Are there any, are there any kinds of projects that, or anything that, you know, people are working on that you're seeing that you're kind of excited about? I know that you've probably been thinking a lot, a lot, a lot about this. Obviously you've got a talk coming up and prepping for that, but is there anything, uh, out there in the community that you'd like to, you know, give a shout out to or anybody that you think is doing pretty exceptional work? Mm. I'm pretty impressed by the work uh, Devon has been putting into Parcel, and mm -hmm. both as a tool and as a, I think it kind of served as a, uh, well, I won't say wake up call because that sounds very uh, obnoxious, but I think it helped uh, move the conversation a little bit in the ecosystem towards exception that zero configuration default actually makes sense, mm -hmm. which is something I also uh, care about deeply, and mm -hmm. that's why Create React App was born. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's really cool that we're starting to see those uh, integrated tools that are pay attention to usability and that are that can be used directly, like Parcel and Webpack 4, and uh, which just came out. And mm -hmm. uh, What's the name? Razzle. I yep. think Jared Palmer's building that. Yep. And there's like a few uh, other similar things. Next JS. So I'm really excited about all those projects. And uh, yeah, I, I want more people. Even if you're like, even if you like configuring things, I think it's a breath of fresh air to look at those projects and see how smart decisions can be taken automatically by the tools. Mm -hmm. I, I remember actually when I, uh, when I first got started with create react app, I was like, ah, I, I, I miss like the ability to, to configure things, you know? And then I started, you, you kind of have to like learn a little bit to just relax, you know, to let, let, uh, let the tool do its job, you know, and to just kind of work within the constraints of, of this, of this zero config, uh, world. And, you know, if, if you, I think if you could, if you do zero config, right, you, you can provide the hooks, you know, that people need to do their things. Uh, like one example is like in create react app, you have like this proxy config, right? So you can proxy to, to a backend yep. server. If you're, if you're running a node server or whatever server, really, it doesn't even matter. But, um, you know, just those kinds of hooks, I think uh, I think you can go pretty far with zero config. So again, thank you for uh, you know create React app. Thank you for all the work that you've been doing on React. Uh, super excited uh, to see your talk next week at React. Is it React Iceland or React? No, Iceland? that's just JSConf Iceland. Oh, JSConf Iceland. But I'll also be given uh, a probably shorter version of the same talk at React Fest in London. Uh, I think about a week after that. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Uh, are you coming to the States anytime this year? I don't know. Maybe sometime like October, maybe, maybe July. Oh, I haven't okay. decided. Okay. 
Well, I, I enjoyed seeing you last year at React Rally. That's always a good place to meet up. That's 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 mm-hmm. where that's where I think I, I think that'll probably be my my standard React conference now that uh, now that Facebook yeah, isn't doing React. Really good. Yeah. All right, everybody. Dan Abramov, thank you so much for joining us here on the React podcast, and we will catch you next time. All right, thank you for tuning into this episode of the React podcast, hosted by Michael Jackson. Michael runs the ever-awesome React Training. Check that out at reacttraining.com. And of course, bandwidthforchangelaw.com is provided by Fastly. Learn more at fastly.com. Air monitoring is provided by Rollbar. Check them out at rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode Cloud Servers. Head to linode.com changelog. Check them out and support this show. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.